the strategy that we've got is not about saying this all needs to be car-free or anti-car. It's about providing a safe, easy alternative, enabling people to ditch their car and think, actually, it's easier, it's quicker, it's more fun, it's healthier to walk, to cycle, or to use public transport. And, and that, for me, is, is, is the future. Hello and welcome to the Practical Democracy podcast by Delib. My name is Sabina Groven and I'll be speaking with some great movers and shakers working to make practical change today. Facing a climate emergency, changing the way we travel is essential. But how can you create a cycling and walking infrastructure network that benefits everyone? How do you get more people using active travel? And does the car have the budge to achieve this? To answer my questions, I spoke with an expert in the field. My name is Will Norman. I'm London's Walking and Cycling Commissioner. I'm very interested in finding out how Will is changing Londoners' behaviour and what we can learn from the work that he is doing. You know, London's been a walking city for, for, for years. You know, it's one of the one, it's a wonderful city to walk around. But I think in terms of cycling, when I came into the, the role, there was London was on the sort of cusp of some change. Um, you know, there had been, under the previous administration, under, under, or under Boris Johnson, there had change had started. There'd been a couple of new proper cycle routes built in London. Um, but they were exceptions and they were they were they were good uh, or some of some parts of them were really good. And it sort of set it sort of showed the promise and it showed the potential London had to become, I think, a, a really high quality cycling city as well as a, a good walking city. But as I said, those were exceptions. And so my priority was how rather how do we how do we make those those how do we make that business as normal rather and business as usual rather than just this is an exception this is a great cycle route on this road but actually you can really only get from A to B here so when I came in um, that was sort of the thing that I had in the back of my mind rather than making this a, sort of an exception how do we make it normal I think safety was the key key priority you know the city has been for years been designed for decades has been designed around the car. And the change had begin to happen, and how do we how do we accelerate that? Clearly, good infrastructure, good cycling infrastructure, safe cycle lanes was absolutely essential. But it also needed a systemic change across from a policy perspective. We brought in a new um, mayor's transport strategy that had active travel really at the centre of that. Um, but that also needed to be replicated in the in the planning policy, in the environment strategy across the board. So making the streets safe for people, designing for people rather than for cars was essential. Making that business as usual, and we also set our Vision Zero policy, which was all about how do we how do we reduce the number of people being killed on and injured and seriously injured on our roads to zero? You know, at the moment, over 3,000 people are killed and seriously injured on London's roads every year. That's unacceptable. And we need to change that. And part of that is the safer streets. But there are other components to that policy as well. Feeling unsafe is a large reason why people don't cycle. That's why I haven't been on a bike in Bristol city centre more than twice in the almost five years that I've lived here. I wanted to hear from Will how he works to ensure people feel empowered to cycle in the capital. 
we do a lot of research. All the research shows that the biggest barrier for more people cycling is perceptions of safety. People want to feel safe on the roads and people worry that they're not. And we know that where we make the streets safer, where we put in the cycle routes, we see a huge increase in the number of people cycling, which shows that when you build it, people come. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so the infrastructure making the streets safer is absolutely fundamental. It changes things and, 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 the, and the numbers increase. When I say you build and people will come, not everybody comes, though. So there's a sort of there's a next part to this. The fundamental piece is getting the infrastructure right for cycling. But after that, then you need to work and engage with communities. You need to have community projects. There are other barriers, cycle parking, for example, um, <clears throat> uh, access to bicycles in the first place. Um, the confidence wayfinding. So there are other things that then need to be sort of built on onto that uh, to sort of allow, you know, to enable more people to access the network you've built. There's a lot that needs adding up in order to create a network for cycling. And I would love to cycle to uni or the office. So I asked, well, how do you go about it? And for example, how can a city like Bristol do the same thing? So there are two ways that I uh, that, that you make a network for cycling. Part of this is looking at main roads, and where you've got main roads with a busy with busy traffic, you need to be looking at protection protected cycle routes. That is where you've got a separate cycle lane that provides protection for people from the vehicles. That protection can be done through curbs and through um, through raised platforms and that thing. Or they can be, and what this is something we learned during the COVID crisis was actually you can do things very quickly with some with bollards and barriers and, and that way, which is cheaper and faster to deliver that safe space. So on the main roads, you need to provide protection. But there is also most cities and Bristol is exactly the same as, as London here that there's a network of residential roads, and so you can use those quieter back streets as a mechanism of getting around as well. But those quieter back streets really do need to be quieter. Yep, and you need direct routes. So you know, if there's a if you're wiggling around left, right, and all over the place, and you're cycling three times as far to get from A to B, people won't use that. So they've got to be appropriate uh, to do that. But one of the things we brought in London were quality standards to the number of vehicles that we say constitute a quieter route. Yep. I mean, you know, what proportion, if there's an industrial estate at one end and it's all heavy goods lorries going into that industrial estate, well, that's not a good cycle, an area for cycling. So you bring in quality standards and saying, well, actually, if there are too many, too many, there are too many cars using those roads or the cars are too fast, then you need to bring in measures of reducing that. You could filter the roads, you can create low traffic neighborhoods, you can put in speed restrictions. Um, you can, you know, there are after different measures. So there are two sort of key ways to build that cycling network: protection on the main roads, and then making sure that the quieter back roads are quieter, and then they provide the crossings to cross from one quieter area across a main road into another into another area. Because in my view, the network is only as strong as its weakest point, and that's why it's so essential that you tackle those dangerous spots. You might have seen people using active travel more during the pandemic. You might have done so yourself. I asked Will how he and his team were able to adapt during a difficult time. Covid was a really dark cloud for for London, like so many other, you know so many other cities, so, so, so many cities around the world. People, a lot of people, there was a lot of suffering, a lot of grief, a lot of people isolating, a lot of stress, a lot of worry, and a lot of people were ill. But one of the silver linings I saw during the first lockdown was actually there was less traffic on the roads, and what happened were people going out and using them in a different way. You saw families walking to their parks, people jogging in the street, kids cycling on roads that were previously really busy. 
And that was like, wow, there's a huge pent up demand. It's not that people don't want to cycle. They don't want to walk to their local areas. They just feel intimidated by this, this space. The second thing that happened during COVID in London was that you saw a huge drop in capacity because of social distancing, a huge drop in capacity of the public transport system. So with two metres social distancing, you could only carry a fraction of the number of people uh, on the public transport system in buses and on the tube. And so if a if, if a small proportion of those people switch to the cars, suddenly you're going to end up with a city that's gridlocked in, and you're going to have a, an, an air pollution crisis. So the very last thing you need in a, in a respiratory disease pandemic is a whole load of extra air pollution. So we very, we very quickly realized we've got to rapidly reallocate space so that people, those people who've started using active travel to get around could continue to do that where they feel not safe or there wasn't the space on the public transport systems. And so what we started doing was rolling out really rapid temporary type infrastructure within, you know, within in, in, in we, we delivered over 100, we delivered more cycle lanes than any other city on the planet during that period, over 100 kilometers in less than nine months. We delivered 100 low traffic neighborhoods, which brought in hundreds and hundreds of miles of uh, these low, 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 low traffic streets, making it safer and more pleasant to, to people to walk around. And we also brought in, you know, one of my contention points was schools. At the time, kids were just hearing all about, you've got to stay two meters away from people. You've got to stay two people, two meters away from people. Now, if you've got a road next to the school and suddenly some kids, some kids sees that and is thinking two meters, two meters, they could step out into the road. So we created, or we, we, we'd been working with a concept called school streets, where you close the streets around the school at drop off and pick off time. Um, the idea behind that is to get more kids walking and cycling to school, to reduce the air quality problems at school and to make it safer. Um, we rolled that out. We now, within in a year and a half, we rolled out 350 school streets uh, across London. So now a quarter of all primary schools in London have got school streets, making enabling them to make that shift. But we could do that all very quickly um, using using cheaper materials, um, plastic bollards what I call magic wands, the plastic bollards. You know, uh, we used cameras that would allow the emergency services vehicles through, but it would use automatic number plate recognition to um, to identify drivers that were, were breaking the rules there. We um, uh, So so there was a, it was a huge amount that changed. We, we also made our bus lanes 24 hours uh, so, that, um, so that the bus and the public transport system is becoming more reliable as well. So we saw a massive change in COVID that, that I think has sustained huge growth. So the mode share for cycling doubled over that period, um, which is, you know, an astonishing change. It, it hadn't really changed for quite some time. Um, the numbers had been going up, but actually the proportion of journeys hadn't. But this 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 has seen a massive transformation in London. And still, you know, weekend numbers are, double, you know, are doubling. I think last week we were something like 20% up on cycling than pre-pandemic. So it's lasted. People's behavior is changing. And that is good news for, for our health of our city. It's good news for the environment and it's good news for our economy. So public health is, is, is vital. We have the most inactive generation of kids in history. You know, we've got an inactivity crisis that we're sort of essentially over the years, we've designed physical activity out of our lives. And the consequences of that are terrible for our physical health in terms of chronic disease, diabetes, heart disease, um, but also in terms of our mental health, uh, in terms of depression, anxiety dementia, a whole raft of things. So we know that active people do do better in, in almost every way. And if 
people can do 20 minutes of activity a day, it will cut all cause mortality. That's death by the risk of dying from all of any disease by 20%. You know, if I could invent a pill as good as physical activity, then I would have Nobel Prizes up to my armpits. Yeah, this is something can, that radically can change our, our public health system. And I think during COVID, you know, what we saw were actually the inequalities in health were exacerbated. And those people who are more disadvantaged, who are more vulnerable uh, from chronic diseases were affected in a, in a greater way. So for me, that really exemplified why this is such an important crisis to, that we have to deal with. But the, the consequence of this is then how do we design physical activity back into everyday life? Uh, our transport system is absolutely key to that. We worked with um, the whole approach that we've taken in terms of our transport strategy is called Healthy Streets. It's about uh, shifting people from inactive car journeys and polluting car journeys to cleaner, greener and healthier forms of transport, walking, cycling and public transport. And so we worked, we had a, a, woman, a brilliant uh, public health uh, expert called Lucy Sanders work, work with us, develop the Healthy Streets strategy. Not only was that embedded in our transport strategy, it's also embedded in our environment strategy, which is also tackling air pollution. Um, it's also embedded in our planning system, a planning strategy, the London planning, the London plan, because it's hard enough embedded this, embedding this uh, new infrastructure and changing the streets that have been built. We need to make sure that our buildings and our streets of the future uh, have have these facilities built in. So the the health approach has been integral to our transport strategy. Everything we've been doing is around how do we get people to use more active, sustainable transport. But that then gets embedded in all the other strategies that help support that. Something that we need to address is the car. All this work with cycling and walking infrastructure, how much does it impact driving in the city? And is a car-free London something that will aims for? I think that cars are important. For some people, they're essential. Um, people with, say, for example, with disabilities. But also, frankly, there are a lot of journeys that can be done that might need need, need to be done by car. So... If you're going to be in queue to, to sort of pick up some some gravel or something, to put, put, put on the back of a bike is unrealistic. Um, you know, so th- there is a role for the car in the city. What is what I think is incredible is just how many journeys can and easily be done by other means. So I think the school run is a really good example. A quarter of all car journeys in London in the morning are associated with a school run. That's dropping your kids off at school. Now, often those are local journeys, um, uh, less than two two kilometers. Now, some of them might need to be done by cars, but many, many millions of them won't be. You know, millions of journeys don't need to be done by by car. And so, this the strategy that we've got is not about saying this all needs to be car free or anti anti car. It's about providing a safe, easy, and uh, alternative, enabling people to ditch their car and think actually. It's easier, it's quicker, it's more fun, it's healthier to walk, to cycle, or to use public transport. And and that, for me, is is, is the future. It isn't being anti-car. It's not saying this needs to be totally car-free. It's about everybody thinking, actually, there are alternatives here. I don't need to use a car for that uh, that journey. And actually, there are enough of those journeys saying, well, actually, do I need to use a car? Do I need to own a car at all? I could have a, be a member of a car club, or or I could share a car with somebody else if I need for those few rare occasions I do it. So... For me, this is not being anti-car. This is about how do you present uh, pre- pre- uh, present 
sort of easy alternatives uh, so that people have other choices and enable them to use cleaner, greener, more sustainable modes, I suppose. But it is also worth thinking that a lot of to say, you know, in terms of journey, mode of transport, the biggest mode of transport for disabled people is walking. You know, a lot of the same number, the same proportion of disabled people use cycles and bikes as they do taxis. So this is not to say that, um, you know, disabled people all have to use the car. Um, this, you know, it, actually making the streets safer for people to walk and cycle. And by walking, I include wheeling, to be honest, you know, if people's in, someone's in a wheelchair and, and making the streets uh, safer, making the crossings better, making sure they're dropped curbs, that the pavements are in good condition. That's all essential. And that, again, can help everybody, irrespective of their age or ability or, or, or background or, 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 or whatever, to actually make those local journeys in a, in a cleaner, greener way. When anybody's doing mean, meaningful change in, in anything, it, it creates anxiety, it can create a, uh, a, back, a backlash, and it certainly invokes passions on both sides. Um, I think particularly in my experience, local transport is something that people really um, do get passionate about. And, you know, I'll be honest, a lot of, you know, there are people who really don't like the the work that we're doing and the changes that we're bringing about, but they are a vocal minority. And time and time and time again, whether it be through the elections, through the ballot box or through consultations or through statistically valid surveys, the vast, the majority of people and the vast majority in a lot of cases support the changes that need to be happen in London. Most people don't want their kids to be breathing in toxic air. Most people don't want 3,000 people being killed and seriously injured on the roads. Most people do want their kids to be able to walk to school safely. Most people do want to be able to walk to their shops and their local high streets to s- thrive. So while there is opposition, while people do get uh, angry and feel particularly passionate about that, that is not the case for the majority of people. And, uh, and and I think we all take great heart in that and, and continue to, to, to bring about the changes that we know that are needed. Will and his team have achieved a lot since 2016, but still a lot of work needs to be done. And moving forward, they have some ambitious goals. So we have some very clear targets. We set the target. When, we, when I came into the job, uh, when Sadiq came in and Mayor of London came in, about 64% of all journeys were made by walking, cycling and public transport. We have a strategy, a 25-year strategy, that will get that to 80% of journeys. So that's a radical transformation from 64% of journeys to 80% of journeys in London being walked, cycled, or using public transport. And we we have trackers to, to show that that's happening. We have counters, and I'm a huge believer in data. Data helps make helps us make the right decisions. So we track how many people are cycling, how many people are walking, how many people are using the bus and the tube, and that helps us direct the investment. So we have a very clear target in terms of the active travel and the sustainable travel. I think the other clear target that is that is that is that is ambitious, but I would not have any other target in this space is around safety. As I mentioned, our Vision Zero strategy. Is the is the is the goal to eliminate all road deaths and seriously injuries on London's roads? Far too you know, far too many people are hurt uh, while moving around the capital, and that has to change. And so that's about changing the the streets, changing the uh, making the vehicles safer, making the speed safer, and making sure that behaviour is uh, safer. Which is why we partner with the police. So there are two key two two key goals: shifting to sustainable, cleaner transport and making sure that all transport is safer for everybody across the city. 
There you go. Thank you so much to Will Norman for talking to me. I really enjoyed our conversation. If you want to find out more about the work that Will does, you can follow him on Twitter at Will Norman. Thank you very much for listening. Should you wish to contact us, you can tweet us at the libthinks or email info at the lib.net. This episode is hosted, edited and produced for the lib by me, Sabina Groven. Our creative director is Tiffany Maddox. I'll be back next month with another episode. Until then, you can visit newsroom.thelib.net for great content on people making practical change, improving democracy. Bye!